If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bought you. <laughs> Welcome back. We are the Podfellas, and thanks for listening to our entertainment podcast. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is Will. What day is it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question that I don't have the answer to myself. <laughs> Each week, we will provide a film or TV review, followed by a deeper dive into a related topic. Today, we will be providing a review of A Hidden Life, directed by Terrence Malick. And then we will take a look back at Tree of Life, one of his earlier films. In the middle of it all, I will be sharing some of my conversation with Joe Suh, one of the hosts of the SBR podcast, and he's also a head pastor at a church. And I asked him a few questions about faith and religion in film, so uh, I'm sure that's going to be exciting, and also very relevant to the films that we're reviewing today. So... Today is pretty much our Terrence Malick episode, a famed writer and director. He is a bit of a recluse, and most of his films deal with uh, philosophy and religion and questions, bigger questions about why we've come to be and what we're all about and what makes us tick and in our relationship to God. And uh, But before we get to that, I wanted to you know open it up and chat with you a little bit, Will, about what's going on in your life. So, quarantine. I don't know if it's day 40 or if it's day 2,678, but I just want to check in with you and see how you're doing. I, it's kind of hard. I mean, mentally for me right now, I guess it's it's been difficult, but I'm good. I'm better, you know, uh, especially because we're doing this podcast. I'm able to finally chat and, and, and really been looking forward to this specific topic, actually, as well with Terrence Malick. Um, but yeah. Other than that, how about you? How's how are you hanging in there? Things are going good. Uh, it was my fortieth birthday last week. Yeah, uh, yeah. My wife set up a big party for me, surprise party, a social distancing party. She basically had me close my eyes and drove me to the nearest train station, and they had like a little turnaround there, like a little roundabout. And she put me there, and then all of my friends came, and they lined up in their cars, and they drove by and wished me a happy birthday. So that was exciting. That was very surprising. Uh, a lot of fun and then you know i had a couple of zoom chats with my family and my friends so it was a lot of fun and uh yesterday my son turned two so our birthdays are six days apart so yeah yeah we celebrated with him got him some toys he's really into dinosaurs right now so you know we had like a big dinosaur themed little mini party for him and you know i had a little mini photo shoot with him but uh yeah he's doing great he's really growing up fast Anyway, I wanted to give you guys a quick look ahead of some of the episodes coming out next. Next week, uh, we will be reviewing the film Extraction, starring Chris Hemsworth. It's a Netflix movie. And uh, right after that, in the same episode, we're going to have a discussion of our top five favorite Netflix films of all time. I'm really looking forward to this because I I don't know if you got the same reception from your friends, but after... um, some of my friends and family listened to the Pixar podcast. They were all sending me their own lists and wow. uh, their, their uh, compliments as well as criticisms. Let's just say a lot of people did not like that I had Wally as my number one film, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, wait, 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 we all wait, have our wait, opinions. Did they all have a same pattern of like what their number one film would have been? Uh, I, I can tell you that a lot of the films at the top of the list was uh, like Toy Story 3 was up there on everyone's lists. Um, of course, I think where they agreed with us was uh, Coco Rat- uh, Ratatouille. So they agreed with you there, I, even though they, you know, I didn't completely agree with them. But there was a lot of that Ratatouille, <laughs> Coco, and Toy Story 3 at the top of the lists. All right. So we have an email now. If you haven't heard yet, any thoughts, comments, drop us a line at the Podfellas Podcast at gmail.com. 
And I want to let you all know that our podcast can be found on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, as well as Spotify. Now, I wanted to review Malik's more recent film first, A Hidden Life. Before we get to that, I wanted to go ahead and play the film trailer. Here it is. Remember the day when we first met? I remember that motorcycle, my best dress. You looked at me and I knew how simple life was then. Some people raiding other countries, preying on the weak. If our leaders, if they're evil, what does one do? You have a duty to the fatherland. The church tells you so. You cannot say no to your race and your hope. You are a traitor. Uh, that was a look at the film trailer for A Hidden Life. The movie is about an Austrian named Franz Jägerstatter a conscientious objector to World War II. He refuses to fight for the Nazis and comes to face the consequences. But it's more than that. It's a bit of a love story. It's about him and his wife and the kids that they raised in this small little Austrian village. Uh, Wanted to give you all a few facts about the movie. First off, this was based on a true story. Uh, The main character, Franz Jägerstatter, was uh, beheaded in, in 2007. He was deemed a martyr and beatified by the Catholic Church. And his wife actually lived to see that, and she passed away at the age of 100 in 2013. Jeez, uh, 100 years old. Yeah, and I know if you guys are saying, wait, did he just give away the end of the movie? Let me just tell you this. Um, This movie isn't about whether he lives or dies because it should be... so much more. Yeah, it's so much more. And it's about the journey and it's about all the questions that I think Malik calls into a question in terms of our own personal beliefs about um, what's right and wrong and, you know, what does it mean to stand for your beliefs? So, yes, he dies. His head gets chopped off. Let's just leave it at that. (laughs) But that shouldn't be why you watch or don't watch the movie. Yes. Uh, a few other things here. Uh, Malik, when he was getting financing after he had written the script, he had put this quote uh, on the front, uh, on the title page of every script given out. And that's this. It's a quote by Soren Kierkegaard. The tyrant dies and his rule is over. The martyr dies and his rule begins. Interesting quote. Didn't make it into the, any part of the movie, but I thought that was a nice little tidbit because it pretty much mm. summarizes the movie. Uh, a few other things here before we get to the actual review. Michael Nyquist, he, uh, this was his final movie role. He played uh, the bishop that the main character, Franz and his wife Fanny, that they consult when Franz basically states that he feels it's wrong to support Hitler in Nazi Germany. Uh, the reason why I bring him up, I'm sure you're all familiar with him. He played the antagonist in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. He was also the original Mike, Mikhail Blomquist in the uh, Girl of the Dragon Tattoo trilogy. So this mm-hmm. was his final movie. He passed recently. Uh, last bit here, which is kind of more for the film nerds out there. This is the first time that Malik shot a film digitally. He shot this on two red epic dragons in 6K, and he used three lenses, uh, and they were all primes, an 8mm, a 12mm, and a 16mm. I was wondering, yes. like, these are so wide. Yeah, of and shots. that is like, one of the reasons why I really didn't like the movie. Well, 
I like. Okay, so that's one of the reasons. If I had any complaints, I'm telling you. Okay, you're going first because I need to hear this. So if I had any complaints about the movie, that was one of them. It's the look of the film. So yeah. So those are. That's a little bit of trivia. Yeah. Go ahead, Will. Yeah. Well. uh, Well, one other small trivia that I don't know if you caught um, from this film. So Judge Lubin, who's who's played by Bruno Ganz. Bruno Ganz is actually yes. uh, the actor that played Hitler in the original in the film Downfall, ah. and this was one of his this was his final film too before he passed. Okay, so uh, I I don't know if people knew that. So that's what was crazy when I saw him. I was like, "Is that Bruno Ganz? Like, what the heck?" Right? And 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 once I looked it up, I was like, "Oh my gosh! How ironic to see him Interesting. in this film." Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because it reminds me that uh, there is one more fact that I think is very unique, very interesting. So Franz and Fanny Jägerstetter, uh, we they actually shot in their house. The village that they lived in was still there. And uh, all of the scenes inside of the husband and wife's house was their actual house. And the bedroom stands exactly as it stood in 1940s Austria. So Really? Really, yeah. That's interesting. Raguden, I think it was called Raguden, I believe, the, the town in Austria. That's crazy. Radigan, I believe it is. Radigan, yeah. Radigan, yeah. yes. Also, also another side note though, is Terrence Malick an explicitly like an ex, like openly Christian filmmaker? I guess or is he? I don't know. Most of his films have to do with religion and faith, and I I, I believe he grew up uh, as a Christian. He also taught philosophy uh, at a college for a bit uh, before he became a filmmaker. Ah, so, okay. yeah. Um, I think it's hard to say, but I mean, I think a lot of his films center around Christianity and his next film he's working on is actually quite literally about Jesus. So the lost planet, I believe yes. it's called. Yes. Yeah. The last planet. Sorry. The last yeah. planet. Which is a totally fitting title for a movie about Jesus, right? The last planet. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sounds like a very Malik thing to, to call a movie. But anyhow, we'll get a little bit more into kind of his background, I think, through the course of our two reviews here. But let me go ahead and start now. off. Yeah. Yes. Go. Let, let me go in and start off by saying what I liked about the movie. Um, the story itself is very compelling because rarely do we see anyone stand by their convictions so strongly as Franz did in the movie. I mean, he's told over and over again by members of the Catholic Church, even by like his own attorney as well as high-ranking Nazi officials. Look, it's okay to swear allegiance to Hitler. You don't have to mean it. Or you know, at one point there are like. The war will be over soon. You can work as an orderly in the hospital. And what does he say? He asks the question, that's fine, but do I have to swear allegiance to Hitler? Because I will not do that. And then when it's time for him to face his death, the lawyer, his lawyer still says, look, they have um, given you your sentence. Doesn't mean you have to go through with it. Sign this letter and this cannot go away. And then his wife, Fanny, goes to visit him in Berlin and she says, I love you. And basically says, do what you feel like you need to do. We, we don't see a man living by his convictions in this fashion anymore. And that's why I feel like the story was so compelling. The movie poses, poses a very interesting ethical question. And that is, is it better to say whatever you have to in order to survive? Even betraying your beliefs outwardly to accomplish the greater good of coming back to your family? Or is it the other way? Is it you are violating your beliefs no matter what if you outwardly say something that violates your inner you know code of conduct i guess you could mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. um so you know i had a conversation with my wife and i was basically asking her like 
you know, if I had to swear an allegiance to to Hitler, even though I didn't mean it, and even though I knew it was wrong, and I said that so that I can come back to my family and take care of you and take care of our, our children and, and live a long, happy, happy life, um, is that bad? Like, would you be okay with that? And she'd be like, no, you, you, you need to do that. You know, you need to come back to us, you know? And um, I have to say that's not saying anything negatively about her because I literally think 99.9% of the population would think that way, including myself. I can say this thing to you know jump through this hurdle, um, but inwardly, my belief system does not change. It does not change who I am, what I believe in, and I'm not going to violate you know my role as a provider and as a father and as a husband to my wife and kids. You know, but so, that goes deeper though. You know that right? It, it goes deeper within the fact yeah. that yes you are as the pastor said in the film like yeah. think what you want and just sign the paper so you can exactly. go free yeah it goes even further than that though because it's it's it, this may be a more of a in more of an extreme concept but but there has been uh true stories based upon it it's like as if a man held a gun to your head and said denounce god and i will not kill you would you denounce god with your mouth, even though in your mind you're saying, I know I will, I would not truly, but in order to save my life, I'm going to say it here outwardly. You know what I mean? It, mm -hmm. It's that concept. Yeah. And I think that that's where if you are, you know, truly, if you understand the, the idea of what it means to live faithfully and really truly to be obedient in, in God's eyes, it's like, you know, it, it, no one comes first, but him kind of thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Exactly. And that's that question. It's that moral and ethical conundrum, which I mm -hmm. think is a question that no one asks anymore because truth has become so relative to everybody. Mm. And it's one of those questions. It's like if someone held the gun to your head, what would you say? Um, you know, and, and I don't have any answers for that, but I love that this movie uh, made in 2019 asks that question of us now. It's challenging us. If you believe in something, Will you stick to it outwardly and with your words? And uh, that's one thing that I really, really stuck out about this movie and was extremely compelling. So yeah, uh, I'll get to what I didn't like a little bit later. But before that, I want to ask you what stuck out pos in a positive way for this movie for you. Um, everything what you said or ba you basically, you know, took the words right out of my mouth. But in terms of just as entertainment and film itself as the film itself like world war stories will always make me happy um i love this part of history and how it was such a fascinating yet trying moment in time the cinematography and editing superb and especially the soundtrack the music score was great score was oh really my gosh uh i can't get enough of the main theme of the soundtrack with its somber violin yeah. paired with the beautiful piano nose and ballad cadence dude like it basically has become my top 10 next to chandler's list wow um, okay i think the entire cast did an amazing job in performance and chemistry august deal who plays the the uh, the main character franz uh riveting with his unnerving stance opposing his loyalty to Hitler and labeled as a conscientious objector enhanced further with the help of his wife, uh, played by Valerie, uh, Packner as a dedicated supportive spouse for her husband during this imprisonment, uh, imprisonment and steadfast faith. I know like we've discussed about the whole lens choices. I, I thought it was so great. 
because it was just a breathtaking visual experience. Malik, he, he, I feel he really focuses on the use of space than, than an atmosphere rather than a produced scene. And it's so evident in the films that he has done. Yeah, I felt like this movie was very run and gun, and that's why he used those lenses. I, I don't know if how much money he had in the budget. Uh, I feel like most of it probably went to the costuming, but uh, yeah, fat like wider lenses on, especially on a on a digital camera, which is in place on a steady cam, will allow you to move extremely quickly. So mm-hmm. I'm sure it I was believe very the budget, the budget I read, I think it was seven to nine million. Okay, yeah, it looks which is wow. Yeah, yeah, he got a lot of money on there. He, he got every cent of that on, onto the screen, which is great. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what's more is is how this is being based on true events of Franz Jagerstatter's letters. I think he just, Malik did an amazing job adapting that story. Mm. So Great. And uh, going yeah. along with some of this, what you loved about the film, why don't you share some of your favorite moments, shots, or scenes? When Fanny, uh, Franz's wife, meets him in prison... And Franz asks, as you've kind of already actually stated earlier, yeah, sure. that if 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 she understands why he's doing what he's doing, and I thought it was so moving when she responds uh, by supporting him with what he believes and is best, and she'll always stand by him no matter what. Um, there are so many great quotes from this film, and I'm only just going to name a couple. Uh, the one that was so that really I, I took it to heart was uh, when he says better to serve injustice than to do it, which was from the scene of his uh, arrest and first taken to prison. Um, and the other was when he, uh, he's speaking with his, uh, with father Kreutzberg, the, the pastor, mm. uh, he, father Kreutzberg says to him, you aren't responsible for their actions. You have no basis on which to reach a judgment as to the justice or injustice of this war. Your only responsibility is to your family, your people to which Franz responds. I don't see things as you do father. We can't remain silent in the face of evil. We have to confront it. Hmm. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, if this is from straight from his letters, like yeah, how wise and compelling this man is truly. Hmm. And what's interesting is uh, they talk about how um, in, in his younger days, he was wild. He would ride a motorcycle. But, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that's brought up consistently throughout the movie is his wife changed him. And they don't say mm-hmm. how or in what way, but that constantly comes up. So, Like you can really see in, in his performance, like like there was a huge sense of, of conviction a lot that he was going through. Mm-hmm. But he stuck true to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's what really riveted me about also um, f- uh, how Franz going through like really seeing his true nature of, of 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 clinging to his faith, clinging to his belief, not not being shaken by what others say. Because I honestly, when 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 Father uh, Kreutzberg uh, was basically saying just sign it, just do it, it was like you were completely contradicting yourself as a pastor yeah. of 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 faith it blew and it, it blew my mind yeah and, so. and once again it's like he's in that room with that pastor and i don't think that pastor was necessarily he was obviously rationalizing the stance of just do this and you know go stick home to, be free yeah, yeah be free and that's not a bad thing but that's once again kind of goes back to that whole thing of, of yep. this movie really posing that moral and ethical conundrum of, of what do you yep. do yeah yeah um, what about so, you though 
Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my favorite scenes before yeah. I go ahead and get to some of the stuff I did not like. Um, the opening scenes of peace in the village of St. Radagoon was absolutely beautiful. So and the opening good. scenes of the movie, uh, we see when Franz and Fanny first fall in love. I believe they meet at a wedding and they just start to dance. And then we see in a quick montage as their children are born, the three beautiful girls. And uh, they live a very calm, peaceful life. Uh, they are out there farming every day, and it's hard physical work, you know, what they do. But at the same time, you can tell they truly love each other, and they love their life. And it's just a simple life. And I think this is a prevailing theme in all of Malik's movies. It's this idea that um, nature uh, just is peaceful and, uh, you know, like the trees and our surroundings and the environment uh, is beautiful and organic, but yet man ruins it with war or with uh, industry or with commercialism it, it yep. comes in and, and it just destroys things and it corrupts things and i think that's very uh, very prevalent here uh, and very obvious in this movie it um, seems like he's trying to also represent the root of our nature as human beings right yes yeah the idea and, to live simply and yet but work hard yeah and how that was tainted in this case, by war. And that's that same viewpoint that he had in A, th a Thin Red Line. Um, you know, in the opening scenes, we see Jim Caviezel kind of swimming and playing amongst the, the natives. And all of a sudden, we see these large, huge machines of war that's ruining the peace. That was also very prevalent, uh, um, pre very present in the film A New World. And also in The Tree of Life, where we see scenes of creation and of, of a middle of American town. And all of a sudden, that's juxtaposed against these huge, cold, sterile, um, empty, um, high-rise buildings in Houston. You know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's something that constantly comes up uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, through all of his movies. Um, but anyway, I, anyways, I digress. Um, the movie, I say this with some caveats but the movie was shot beautifully he used mostly natural light this is the first time that he uh shot a movie without his trusted dp emmanuel lubeski which we all know as el chivo he won an academy award for best cinematography for the film the revenant but uh i would have to say that i feel like the the um, the relationship between dp and director worked out quite well here to an extent now <laughs> before i get to what i didn't like let me ask you what you disliked about this film. Can't say much. Practically don't have anything, really. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news and, and a Debbie Downer, but you know I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here, and that's my job. So uh, I, I said the cinematography was beautiful, but. It drove me nuts, his choice of lenses. Like I said, he had an 8mm, a 16mm, and a 12mm. Mm -hmm. And if you guys don't know a little bit about lenses, um, the smaller the number, the more uh, image you get onto the camera at one time. But unfortunately, the wider your image is, the more it distorts along the edges. So let's say if you have someone's head on like the left side of the screen and you're shooting it on an eight millimeter lens his head is going to be stretched out like to some weird distortions and he's going to look like frankenstein or he has like elephantiasis of the head <laughs> basically i mean well, it didn't seem that evident it, it, I'm just it was 
let me just say there are times when I knew he was using an eight millimeter film and he was using it in a close up of someone whose head wasn't directly in the middle of the frame and his head would be stretched like <laughs> to some weird like I, I can't even describe it like August Steele, who played Franz. Uh, he has a prominent forehead. I could say that. and I don't think I'm being insulting. He has a prominent forehead, um, but he's very handsome. But. You take that prominent forehead and put him on an eight millimeter lens and all of a sudden he looks like Frankenstein and it took me out of the movie. <laughs> and even my wife was like, whoa, like why is his head like kind of distorting like that? So it, it was very obvious and it took me out of the movie. It, it was jarring at times. It's like, can you just throw like a 35 millimeter in there? That's still kind of wide, but just at least just do that for some of the close-ups. But no, he didn't. This is also Malik's first linear film in a very, very long time. Mm. Um, and it's his most traditional work in decades. There's actually like coherent dialogue here, which I don't think there was any of in his last three films. Um, unfortunately, I feel like structure is his best friend and his own worst enemy. I say that because uh, his more artsy tonal movies are oftentimes distracting because they don't give you enough information to go off of. And you're just kind of left lost. Like, I have no idea what's going on. At the same time, uh, that type of environment, that type of film is where he most succeeds. And in this film, um, like I said, it has the most story and plot and dialogue. And it actually goes from point A to point B. Uh, But I felt like that was limiting as a director. And I felt like it wasn't his forte. This movie was almost three hours long and it's, it was his longest movie ever. And honestly, it felt like it was a good 45 minutes too bloated. It could have been a lot shorter. And if a movie is that, that much longer than what I feel like it needs to be, it, it, it starts to kind of grate on me a little bit, you know, I like it. So I'm going to digress a little bit here and I liken uh, Terrence Malick, the type of filmmaker he is. He's a guy that hits 500 foot home runs or completely strikes out at the plate that that's kind of what i feel like he does so for example you know if a major league baseball player has 500 at bats in the course of a season if he hits the ball a hundred times and they're all home runs he would have a 200 batting average which would make him one of the worst in baseball but it would also give him a hundred home runs, which would mean that he just he would break records every year for most home runs hit. For me, he needs to be swinging for the fences every damn time he goes up to bat, and he might strike out four times out of five, right? But that one time he hits it out of the park, like with Tree of Life, it is going to be friggin' amazing, right? But here in this movie, in A Hidden Life, I felt like he was trying to learn how to hit doubles or just get on base and Mm. do a good job at that and that's not his strength and that's not why i pay to watch him so Mm. that 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 was my knock on him because i'm a huge malik fan and funny enough though because like i it's the opposite for me with with the length of the film okay uh with tree of life yeah but i'll talk about that later but yeah all right so we both shared our viewpoints what we liked what we didn't like wanted to ask you first will what was your final review of the movie i give this a 4.5 out of five stars I think that it was, even though it was linear uh, of a storyline, and, and, and yes, it was based upon true events, um, and not really minding, I guess, 
I know there's a purpose, as you already know, too. Every director has a purpose of uh, lens choices as they discuss with their cinematographer of why they did it that way. Mm. Um, for me, it was one, I think, just to really show that a- uh, space and atmosphere, like I said. Like, he really focuses on that rather than uh, very produced scenes of close-ups and details of that. It was just, to me, a beautiful film. I, I think I think definitely, though, what knocked it up uh, really well for me was that beautiful soundtrack. Mm, it was great. Like, I, yeah. It, the timing of, of every scene, that's where when you say it was 45 minutes too long, I feel like that that it paced itself well because of how well the sound, how good the soundtrack was too. So let me ask you this. This movie came out in 2019. Um, and of course you and I had a podcast episode where we talked about our top 10 films of 2019. If you had seen mm-hmm. this film last year, would it have made your list? I I would say, yeah, it would have made it okay. for sure. Good. Yeah. Cool. All right. You're my yourself? final, my final rating of the film. Uh, I, I I wanted to give it between three and three and a half stars, but I eventually just rounded it down to three stars. I still recommend it. I I still say you should go watch it. It's Mm -hmm. a powerful, uplifting story that questions our own beliefs and convictions. At times, it's beautifully shot, but the movie at times is also ineffective due to its length and the jarring cuts that Malik incorporates. Basically, um, in more of his tonal movies that have less plot, you'll often see that in the middle of a scene, there'll be this like harsh cut and then the actor that you were seeing is completely like doing something else, right? And for a movie that isn't necessarily based plot driven, that that's okay. But in a movie like this where, you know, we are going from point A to point B and there has to be some some uh, a semblance of continuity, I felt like those jump cuts which have become a habit of his also took me out of the movie. So interesting. Um, yeah. Oh so, man. So there's some of that. And then of course I talked about some of the other things I didn't like, but overall it's still a very good movie, a very powerful watch. And I do recommend it. It's just, it's not without its flaws for me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Respect. I respect you as well, sir. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to go on a little bit of a break. And uh, during this time, we're going to play the trailer for Extraction, which we will be reviewing next week. And then shortly thereafter, you're going to get to listen in on a conversation that I had with my good friend and host of the SBR podcast, Joe, regarding faith and religion in films. Stay tuned. They're hoping if you spin the chamber enough times, you're going to catch a bullet. It's just easy that way. This is an extraction. So who are the players? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. That's a mythic shit, huh? It's a kidnapping. Drug lord's son. Clock's running at 16 hours. Proof of life as of six hours ago. All right, so joining me now for a little Q&A is Joe Suh. He is one of the hosts of the SBR Sports Podcast, as well as the founding pastor of the Exchange Church in Anaheim. Welcome to the pod, fellows. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. That sounds so, that makes me sound like so professional, but. <laughs> you are professional. 
like when, when i started when we started podcasting we're like oh i was telling well we gotta listen to these guys they've been doing it for a while <laughs> they started from nowhere and now they got like sponsorships these guys are really oh cool. oh my we're, gosh <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah i, I met like I give you guys huge props because you know you've been doing it for a long time. I think the hardest thing is to like get it started and then keep it going. Mm. You know, and we're kind of facing those challenges right now. You know? mm. yeah. yeah, but hey, you guys are. I, I feel like you guys were more professional than us from the first episode <laughs> <laughs> when I listened to you guys. So. No, but you guys are so laid back and so chill, <laughs> and I really love that kind of tone, that that feel for for your podcast. So, um, thank you. Know, you. I wanted I appreciate to kind of. That. Yeah, of course. Um, I had a few questions for you before we kind of get to the topic at hand. Obviously, we're stuck here in quarantine. Just wanted to ask you how it's been for you and the family. Uh, you know, it's been okay. I think we feel very thankful that uh, we've been blessed enough to kind of be okay uh, financially and to keep our jobs and, you know, nobody's sick. Yeah. Um, and so we're very thankful for that. Obviously, life has changed. It has been nice. I've been catching up on some... <laughs> shows and movies things i haven't had time oh, yeah? for oh yeah recently. what have you been watching so, anything good well you know what's funny is i just watched parasite yeah which, <laughs> which is terrible i feel like a bad korean because i didn't watch it earlier but what's one of the reasons you? i know <laughs> just kidding. it's like one of the reasons i never got around to it earlier was because my dad saw it before uh-huh. anybody knew about it uh-huh and he basically spoiled the movie for oh, me oh no <laughs> <laughs> so when i saw it i kind of knew he basically gave me like half the movie, half the movie before I said, "Okay, like Dad, please stop. stop. Like, <laughs> stop telling me you're ruining the whole movie." He's like, "I barely told you anything." He told me a lot, yeah. but um, even having said that, it was still incredibly like very enjoyable, and yeah. also just it just hit me. Yeah, I mean, it, it hit me. So yeah. Anyway, I wanted to ask you one more question before we get to uh, the the main topic that you're here to discuss. You are a host of a sports podcast, and that would be quite difficult at this point in time to create content since there is no sports on television. So, yeah. what are you guys reviewing? Like, tell our listeners what's it been like. Oh, it's it's been tough. Yeah, I mean, we we said this. We said as much recently on our recent podcast. Like, we're struggling to find content out there. We covered the NBA horse. <laughs> we covered <laughs> the 2K, the 2K <laughs> tournament. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, you know, one of the things like we've been talking a lot about the WWE. Yes. Because weirdly, they're just, they're just going on. They're continuing to, to film these live shows with no audiences. It's kind of strange. Yeah. It's uh, funny to talk about though. It's super awkward. And so we're kind of, we're, we're looking for content, but we actually, just recently thought of something kind of a different idea we're going to try it next week okay Ooh. on our podcast so a there's a little tease for any okay okay any crossover listeners we have you know what's a funny thing is uh i randomly i was like there's no sports i'm so depressed and i got an email come check out 30 free days of the wwe network and i was like <laughs> why not so i signed up and i was just like immersed i was watching hours of it a day and then i watched like the last wrestlemania i don't know if you watched it it is so weird with yeah, no I, fans. I saw parts of it yeah yeah <laughs> that's so yeah. funny and now uh let's discuss what we brought you on to talk about um want to go ahead and discuss faith and religion in film um now will and i are taking a look back at the tree of life and also reviewing a hidden life in this episode both films deal quite a bit with Christian themes. So, uh, Joe, thank you for coming. I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit on a few questions that I had that might be uh, relevant for our listeners. First one I had is this. Whether it's The Matrix or Superman or a movie series like Star Wars, 
movie going audiences can't get enough of the savior of the world storyline the idea of an outsider that's here they're the chosen one that's here to save everybody mm-hmm. from their ways why do you think people are so drawn to that story why is it such a tried and true like plot point in so many movies i mean i think there are a few reasons uh one of the things i think that we really connect with is the idea that something's not right in the world, that the world is kind of broken. And even if it's something like Star Wars, even if it's something like, you know, Lord of the Rings, even if it's some kind of fantasy genre or a sci-fi genre, there's some kind of oppression, there's some kind of injustice, there's some kind of something that's going unfulfilled or the world isn't quite the way that it's supposed to be. And those movies, you know, there is always this prophecy or there's someone enacting something you know, getting the ball rolling so that someone's supposed to come, you know, the one, the chosen one, the mm. the one to bring balance to the force, you know, like this yeah. idea. And that idea is very appealing to people because it speaks to the fact that, oh, it it, it gives us hope, right? And it, it kind of points people to something mm. um, on a more, I don't know, overtly Christian level. I would say that there are also uh, themes that are kind of imprinted on us, on our yeah. souls or on our hearts. And I think both, I think the way that story is both structurally and thematically, you know, movies or stories, they all kind of follow that same, even, I mean, I used to teach writing, you know, and I would teach like fifth grade kids, like exposition, <laughs> you know, like, or like setting problem, solution, resolution. There's this kind of these story beats yeah. that every story follows. And, you know, as a Christian, the way that we kind of talk about that in the Bible, like meta narrative, creation, fall, redemption, you know, and then consummation, where we would talk about like, oh, like God created, and then there's, you know, Adam and Eve, there's this fall, and there's this redemption, you know, talking about Jesus, and and there's this future where God's going to remake everything and make it totally right. And just as for me as a Christian, like I see that narrative structure in tons Mm. of movies yeah you know i mean really all the movies pretty much (laughs) yeah and so even like a horror film where that is subverted it only makes sense because you know the way it's supposed to be good supposed to win yeah you know it's supposed to come out this way and it gets twisted on its head and so i think that's just kind of ingrained in us like we know that structure we we seek that structure out we seek those stories out and um Mm. I would say that that, that kind of speaks to this, this savior true. narrative. Yeah, it's almost as if this story is, it's almost like it's not taught that this is how it should be. It's almost as if we're born kind of um, understanding that, you know, this is how a story should be played out. And it's a story that resonates within us. It's almost like it's imprinted on us for the beginning. Yeah. To love that type of story, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think even like Tolkien, he would write a lot of this kind of stuff when he would, he, you know, when he thinks about his stories and he wrote kind of essays about this too, but he would talk about how that structure is in us. You know, Mm -hmm. the longing for that is in us and it speaks to us wanting this narrative to play out. You know, in real life, it's almost like life's kind of this way. It's not that way. Like even (laughs) when we know that it's fiction, it's not that way, but we wish it could be that way. You know, we wish it would be that way. And um, yeah, I think uh, N.T. Wright, he calls it like echoes of a voice. Mm. You know, there's something out there we're all kind of searching for it and you can't put your finger on it, but you know, it's there. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I definitely, you know, that's why I love, I mean, I love these movies that you, yeah. <laughs> even these things you mentioned, like yeah. The Matrix, Superman Star, I mean, I'm all about it. And yeah. so, um, you know, I love it. Yeah. Now, I'm really, really hoping, like, just on a tangent here, that obviously, where well, for me, Matrix Part 3 was completely and utterly horrifyingly <laughs> bad. So I am just secretly hoping and praying that the, the reboot with right. Keanu Reeves is, they hope they fix it. Hopefully, please, <laughs> Can please they just it. erase that? Yeah. <laughs> they just, like, like they do with them. movies. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Terminators 3, 4, 5 didn't happen. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this takes place after two. Yeah. They would, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, next question I had, uh, 16 years ago, Mel Gibson put his career on the line and directed a movie, uh, which is financed independently called the passion of the Christ. And now mm. this movie depicted the last several days of Jesus's life on earth. And it did not pull any punches. A lot of people thought it would be career suicide. Now the film went on to gross 370 million domestic and 612 million worldwide. Now a movie doesn't make that kind of money if only church going audiences are watching it. In fact, it was the highest grossing R-rated movie for over a decade until the comic book movies wow. came out and changed things. Now, what do you think this reveals about what the average moviegoer wants to see? Was this a one-off or uh does it was it a hint at something bigger? I mean, I, th- I think it says a couple things. One is that there are a lot of Christians <laughs> out there mm-hmm. who want to see good Christian films. Mhm. You know, I think in general, uh, people in general want to see a good Jesus film. I think, uh, there are a lot of bad Jesus films out there yeah. and a lot of kind of strange Jesus films out there, uh-huh. but there are not a lot of, um, at least true to what the Bible, the way that the Bible presents Jesus and kind of trying to be as historically accurate as possible. And yet trying to be committed to an artistic vision. There aren't a ton of movies, I would say, that fall into that category. And, um, it's very interesting because I, I think, um, as far as I can remember, I don't, I don't remember that well, but I do remember people criticizing the film for being too violent or for depicting, yeah. you know, these kind of images. Yeah. This and it just fact. seemed, yeah. And it was just kind of like, why are you focusing on that? Like, why are you focusing on these, this violent depiction of Jesus's death? You know, why not focus on his life? Why not focus on his teachings and this kind of thing? And I mean, to me, that was always strange because one, as a Christian, and obviously I've been, you know, I've been, I have grown up in the church. So the story of the cross is like, I've always known it. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people out there who have that kind of story, whether they're, they would currently kind of identify themselves as Christian or not. They kind of grew up in church or they know the stories of Jesus. And just knowing that, I thought, yeah, but that going to the cross was like the reason Jesus, yeah. Jesus came, you know, I mean, that's like the crux of his mission. So you should depict that. Like that should be important. And then the other thing was that I always thought was strange and it's only become stranger to me as I've, kind of become more educated about Jesus's actual death. But what was depicted in the movie pales in comparison to what actually happened. Hmm. You know, his actual death was far more. Yeah. It was excruciating, you know, was the Romans, the Roman empire was no stranger to violence and they created a way for somebody to die in the most excruciating way possible you know, uh, 
not just because they're like sadistic, but you know, as a deterrent for people, and so they could see it and they could be like, oh, this is what happens, you know, when people break the law, when people mm-hmm. go against the empire, you know, this kind of thing. And so, I mean, it was it was horrific, you know. Right. That's that's kind of the way it was it was supposed to be. And there is, um, and for me, I mean, I think me like a lot of Christians went to see the movie because you really wanted to like have that experience, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like you wanted to feel it. And, you know, I did when I went, I was like bawling and I was yeah. like shocked and, and I know how to handle all this. And, um, you know, I think in that regard, Mel Gibson certainly did what he set out to do. He did it successfully. And I think a lot more people are interested and curious about these kind of spiritual stories even stories about the Bible, you know, stories based on the Bible, stories about Jesus, these kinds of things, then I think the mainstream media kind of gives people credit for. Yeah, it's almost as if uh, when you dilute the message down, it becomes not so much of a message at all. But if you stick to your guns, at least it stands for something. Um, Another question I had is, uh, from a Christian standpoint, the arts, you know, in general were created to give glory and worship to God. Now, you know, if you're a a listener who is Christian and is considering going into a creative field, let's say they want to be an actor or director, should they only be participating in Christian films or in Christian television shows? Uh, I know that a lot of people uh, may struggle with that. It's like, how much is too much? Um, What can I what shouldn't I do, um, you know, when I'm acting or when I'm, you know, in the arts? Um, so what kind of a response would you give to someone like that? Well, I mean, first off, I would say no to the question, um, should they only try to do Christian stuff? Um, no, most of the Christian stuff is pretty bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I don't, Absolutely. You know, I'm not trying to like hate on anybody or anything, but the just super christian stuff yeah does turn out to be pretty bad and yes. part of it is what you just said that it's there's kind of no artistic vision and people aren't really committed to it and i think you know sin is is horrible you know uh kind of our like human depravity like what people can become and you know what what plays out in people's lives a lot of times um can be really bad, right? And so I don't think it really does justice to that part of mm. truth if you water that down. It's just wise to have some limits. You know, I think being gratuitous and having overly unnecessary um, kind of depictions of things, maybe yeah, sex and violence. Yeah, like yeah. sex and violence. Like I think there are definitely extremes. You know, there are definitely kind of things that you can. Uh, it doesn't really serve a purpose. I don't think it serves artistic purpose and yeah. I don't think it serves even the purpose of the narrative. It's kind of just like to draw people in. It's kind of like clickbaity. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, let's just throw this stuff out there and people are going to watch it because it's so, you know, bad or it has these certain images. I, I really don't like that. And it's kind of like, uh, like, I mean, this is, is like a whole side topic. I don't want to get into sure. it too much, but uh, <laughs> I think Game of Thrones has been accused of being a little more gratuitous than what was necessary for its sure. plot, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've I've gotten into trouble <laughs> talking about Game of Thrones. I, I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the past. Yes. And so I haven't seen Game of Thrones. I've seen one episode of Game of Thrones, and that was enough for me to decide I wasn't going to watch the show. Yeah. But... um. I don't, I mean, I don't want to speak specifically about it, but I would say, I think, um, 
you got to be careful. Like, yes. uh, so I was, I was talking about this, uh, in my sermon on Sunday, but, uh, there's this story, uh, the stories we tell. Uh, there's this story. There's this book called The Stories We Tell by a guy named Mike Cosper. I don't know if you've heard of it. No. But it, you should, you should read it. Okay. Yeah, definitely. It's good. It'll be a great read for you. But, um, you know, it's kind of about the role of, of, uh, media, you know, in our lives as Christians and how those things play out. And, um, he was telling this story about, He's, you know, he's a Christian, obviously, and he's, you know, like a pastor. He is, he was discipling this young guy who was struggling with sexual sin, like with his girlfriend and with like pornography, you know, and so he was sharing this to him and he said, okay, well then we're going to change your life. Like, you know, this was all voluntary, right? He said, I want to change my life. I want to get out of this stuff, you know, and I want to kind of get my life together. So they said, okay, we're going to move your computer, you know, out to the living room. You're not going to spend time with your girlfriend alone anymore. They kind of did this whole regimen, you know, to help him. And then at the end of it, he says, it's like hours, right? They spend hours talking about this. They're like praying, they're going through this stuff. And the young man, he agrees to all of it. And then at the end of it, it's all over. And then he says, hey, are you going to go watch this such and such movie this weekend? You know, and the author, he knew that it was, from what he knew, it was like a very gratuitous film. And there was a lot of kind of like sexual themes. There's a lot of, you know, super violent stuff. And he's like, and he said he was just like, what? Like, what are you talking about? You know, and the, his point was kind of that we don't, we don't, what we don't recognize is what happens to us underneath, mm-hmm. you know, and he was kind of saying, oh, well, don't worry about it. Like, that doesn't bother me. You know, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. It, it doesn't affect me, you know, and I think his, partly his point, and one point that I took away from it was that when we get desensitized to certain things, yeah. I think sometimes Christians take this as, oh, like I've upped my tolerance, you know, like I've, I've gained this kind of tolerance level where these things don't bother me anymore. Mm-hmm. But the way I see it is not really that. It's actually that you've just become desensitized to certain types of sin. And so you don't feel that kind of temptation anymore. But that's really not a good thing. Yeah. You know, it's like we should be affected in some visceral way by certain things, by certain yeah. images, and we need to guard like a level of purity. So I don't, you know, again, I don't think there are like these these hard and fast lines, you know, and rules, and people have to kind of search their own conscience. Mm-hmm. But good art, you know, good stories are definitely going to have to go outside of certain like sure, boxes, sure. I think, that are in just the Christian realm. But, you know, people need to be careful, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you one last question, uh, and this has nothing to do with uh, the topic. Um, the Last Dance. Were you watching it? Are you going to talk uh, about it on SBR? <laughs> I actually haven't seen it yet. Okay. But we are going to talk about it for sure. Y- yeah. yeah. Y- you guys should talk about it. It's <laughs> epic TV, especially at a time like this. Yes. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, I'll be looking forward to that episode. And uh, everyone, check Joe out on the SBR podcast. SBR stands for Shouting for the Back Row. They are uh, Laker fans through and through. So, you know, it's definitely centered around basketball and the Lakers, but they talk about a whole myriad of different things as well. And if you want to hear them talk about the WWE, you should tune into that as well. So, Joe, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time. Hey, thanks so much for having me. There are two ways through life. 
the way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. We're alligators. You'll be grown before that tree is tall. takes fierce will to get ahead in this world. Come on, hit me. Hit me. Come on, son. He's afraid of you. You expect things that a mulling adult can accomplish. I've just always wanted you to be strong. Be your own man. Father. Mother. Always you wrestle inside me. Always you will. Someday fall down and weep and we'll understand it all all thanks all right we are back now i wanted to go ahead before we go into our reviews and our look back on the movie i wanted to give you all a few interesting tidbits about this movie as well the story itself is about a family in waco Uh, Texas in 1956. The eldest son witnesses the loss of innocence and struggles with his parents' conflicting teachings. This movie won the Palme d'Or back in 2010, which is uh, given to the Best Picture at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. It was also nominated for three Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, as well as Best Cinematography. A lot of people say this movie was semi-autobiographical and based loosely upon uh, Malik's own life. He grew up in Texas. And uh, this movie has some pretty heavy themes without directly saying what they are. And in doing so, it affects us all very, very differently. Um, the, the, the main actors in this movie were all uh, highly praised. Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain play the parents. Sean Penn plays the oldest son once he has gotten older. Uh, we see him struggling with uh, his upbringing and some tragic things that happen in his life. Um, so that is a little bit of a background to this movie. Will, I wanted to go ahead and ask you first off, uh, have you watched this film previously? No, this is fresh for me, man. So Interesting. I know okay. you have. Yeah, but then uh, if this is your first time watching the movie, let me go ahead and just go right to it and ask you, uh, what are the themes that stick out in this film? The themes that stuck out for me uh, were the path of grace versus the path of nature. There's a lot of existentialism that was uh, brought up in this and and a lot of transcendent like messages in that sense. I mean, obviously, it, he he starts off with uh, a verse, which is the book of Job yes. from the book of Job. Hmm. So obviously, we know what we're getting into in that sense. Right. Uh, and and just the way it progresses from there was completely it's like in your face. Like, yes, this is what's happening for yeah. those so- themes that I, I, I find out. I want to ask you a few more questions then, Will, just to dive a little deeper here. Um, yeah. you know, there are certain scenes that could be considered creation and also some scenes that might look evolutionary in nature. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, Malik has been known uh, to have had a very Christian conservative upbringing and also to be a Christian himself. I wanted to ask you, is this a Christian faith-based movie? Yes, because the, the question about evolution and creationism um, I, I look at it as, and, and obviously I'm, I'm speaking from a faith-based perspective. Sure, sure. Yeah. 
that who's to say that when something something is created from nothing or or something has to start something whatever like god is obviously beyond our realm of 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 comprehension sure. to to the things that he has so the idea I've, i remember having a, a, a conversation with our friends like well evolution is different than creationism but then it's like well who's to say that god didn't um have a, a hand in evolution to to where we are now in the sense you mm -hmm. know yeah so yeah i mean for me it is purely for me creationism uh, god basically mm. interesting yeah i would have to agree with you too um, but I think, of course, uh, part of that reason is because, you know, you and I both have a Christian upbringing. And I think one of the things about this movie is that what we're seeing, uh, we're going to frame it in our own way because it doesn't label anything specifically or tell you what you to think or believe. So, yeah. And I, I mean, I know like, I, I want to try to keep an open mind, definitely to to understand, obviously, for friends who I have friends who are atheists and, and friends who are. Uh, you know, like all about the evolution idea of it, you know, mm -hmm. like being able to also understand and hear them where they're coming from. To me, obviously, in the end of the day, it still comes back to like, well, who's to say that God couldn't also have a hand in that? But mm -hmm. when it comes to when, when we throw in the argument of faith, that's where it becomes this truce or, or this standstill, like a line where it's just there's no you can't go any further than that because you how do you really argue faith uh, for mm -hmm. myself i had seen the movie previously and, and at the time it was one of the most deeply moving resonant and affecting films i had ever seen and um i just saw it a few days ago i rewatched it and it was just as important and amazing and riveting as i had seen it the first time i, I remember mm -hmm. i put it on and um, I think my wife went to the restroom and then when she came out, she looked at me and then she looked at the, the screen and, and like I was completely transfixed on what I was watching. And then it was like, you know, weird stuff, like weird voiceovers that don't have anything to do with any sort of plot. And then all of a sudden these creation scenes come on and she was like, I'm sorry, I can't watch this. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't judge you for that. It, this is a, a very uh, uh, interesting movie, but I, I read this review on IMDb from a user and I thought it hit the nail on the head. So I'd like to share it with you. How do you watch such a film? You've got to lower any defenses you have. You've got to not allow yourself to try to make a sense out of everything you see. You've got to take it all and let it enter you just as smoothly as the film enters dinosaurs, cells, planetary evolution, or a simple living room of a troubled family. Make no judgments. Consider nothing except the pure experience of being there. Wherever the film takes you, search no explanation, for there was no real rational reason other than intuition for images to be as they are. Imagine a film about everything with a remote storyline that talks about every theme in every possible time of the world. Imagine a film without a beginning or an ending, circular meta-narratives where you can pick up at any spot I mean any, and you can create whatever inner narrative you want. A sky of images, like the mosaic poster of the film, where you mm -hmm. can pick your own choices and create whatever story you like. Or you can choose to frame the more palpable story visible in the film in whatever fashion you want. Up to you. The challenge is that you have to test the limits of your own imagination to live the film in its full extent. Nothing is predefined. Go wherever you want. What do wow. you think, Will? Does that... Does that hit the nail on the head there? I It makes sense, for sure. I was going to actually say, or in the words of our good friend John, 
I feel like I'm watching a couple of hours of screensavers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so someone to, just somebody so, needs to so move John, the mouse. <laughs> so John, I think he knew we were reviewing this, and like all of a sudden we get a text in the middle of the night. Yo, guys, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> I feel like I'm watching screensavers. And then at the end he says, "By the way, I'm drunk, <laughs> or I'm intoxicated, or, or something like that." And I was like, "Yeah, and if then, I was drunk, I think I would enjoy this movie even more." But <laughs> but I think like my favorite text from him was, "Holy crap, dinosaurs!" <laughs> <laughs> yes, I died. Oh my god. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is a movie about a middle American family in Waco, Texas, in the 1950s, and you see dinosaurs. <laughs> And evolution <laughs> and planets being formed. That was so funny. <laughs> yes. Oh, so anyway. Uh, so some of the themes that uh, I saw in this film, um, of course, it's creation, grace versus nature. And at the end, forgiveness. This movie mm. is so powerful mm-hmm. and emotional. It's not the kind of movie that you cry at during the end. It's the kind of movie that after watching it, you will be silent for a good one to two hours as you reflect on your own life with a newfound sense of perspective. And I think everyone, no matter what kind of childhood they had, they will see their own childhood in this film, both the good and the bad parts. And we see it quite a bit in the three boys as the family grows up. But in terms of the biggest themes and ideas that the movie tries to get across in my book, there are two. First is uh, this movie tries to put your pains and struggles in perspective uh the first thing we see in the movie in the movie is a quote by job and if we know anything about job uh, as the story goes he was a man truly blessed by god and all of a sudden he gets everything taken from him and his friends and family leave him um and at the end of the movie or sorry at the end of the story he questions god like how could you take this from me and god says who are you to ask to say that to me i am god were you there when i created uh the heavens and the earth you know, you're a man and I want you to, to give me an answer to this question. And basically, God is trying to put Job in his place and to give him proper perspective out of his own hurts and his own uh, pains. And ultimately, Job repents and he has all his riches given back to him and, and exponentially more than he had before. In this movie, uh, Sean Penn's character, when he's younger, loses a brother. And, uh, you know, Jessica Chastain and Brad Pitt, who play the mom and dad, they lose a son. And in the midst of that loss, they are here asking these questions like, are you there, God? Why would you let this happen? And that's Mm -hmm. when we cut to scenes of creation. That is very explicitly a connection to Job. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Did they wait uh, on a side note? Did they explain, though, how they lost their son? I know she got a letter. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, because at first I thought uh it was like you know those telegrams like if he was in the military or something like that died in the war or whatever i, I, I think, wasn't sure yeah i mean uh, they don't say it but from the way I, I determined it the story takes place in the 1950s i think the boy died when he was around 18 19 so it was probably in the late 60s so it probably would have been the vietnam war is, is mm-hmm. kind of what i was thinking got it got it okay yeah. So that's one theme, you know, putting your struggles and pain in perspective. The other theme is the emptiness that arises from holding on to the hurts of the past. Now, this is something that I struggle with quite a bit. I actually, uh, to get a little personal, have a hard time letting things go in in terms of what has happened to me in my life. But ultimately, I think that what the movie says is the, the 
pain that you harbor at some point only hurts the person that's harboring it. And of course, the biggest theme of all, you know, as a result of that pain and the way the movie ends is the freedom that comes from learning to forgive and to make peace out of what has happened to you. And this movie shows that at the end in a very real, allegorical, non-plot driven, but just in a beautiful, symbolic way. And it is just so powerful. So that, those are the themes that I saw um, in this movie. Um, nice. Yeah, I wanted to ask you then, uh, other than those specifics, Will, what was your overall uh, review of this movie? I mean, so Terrace Malick did a beautiful job with this film. I yes. enjoyed his philosophical and transcendent approach, uh, juxtaposing the verse of Job, as you already stated, from the Bible, from the very beginning of the film. Um and the lesson of choosing the path of grace or the path of nature. Uh, it was beautifully orchestrated in terms of his cinematography and poetry and its editing, much similar to, I would say, a 2001 Space Odyssey. If you've ever seen that, it, there, there's a lot of similarities I see in terms mm. of those technical aspects of it. Yeah. Malik's interpretation on creation and stems of life takes you on this vast journey from the darkness of the universe to the inception of our solar system and its mystery to a story of a family during the 1950s, 1960s, which compared to the universe feels so small, but he tries to explain the purpose of all existence with it. Yeah, yeah, you you nailed it right there, yeah. Um, His choice using voiceover narrative from the characters as if it were hearing their thoughts of curiosity, curiosity, questions, and observations was fitting because I believe we all have those moments of asking ourselves these existential questions, yeah. desiring to find a deeper truth in the world we live in, especially mm-hmm. with the story about a loss of a son mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. if it's a loss of anything, you yeah. know, that's dear, near and dear to us. Overall, this experimental film definitely was an emotional roller coaster. The only issues uh, I found were it became a bit jarring, kind of similar to your. Uh, review with, with um, A Hidden Life and the way it was edited with those jump cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a bit jarring mixing the existential visuals of like the sun, the stars and and, and, and cells, all that stuff um, with the time jumps and following the story of the family. It was difficult at times to follow for me. For So you like example, the dinosaurs <laughs> basically. It, <laughs> such as the dinosaurs it didn't connect with me as much pertaining to the main storyline mm. obviously like um overall it became a bit too fragmented for me it, it, i i i had to like take a pause for a moment and mm. try to like wait wait let me let me try to re reorganize this whole yeah. like um film the storyline right now and so if i can just to, kind, of, say because kind of because if I can butt in there, uh, I know you have more to talk about. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason why I love the dinosaurs so much and I love the creation scenes is that I feel like Malik was saying, the, these scenes with an American family is great and we know that you identify, but I want you to know that this movie is bigger than that. And I, that so I'm going to show you these scenes, but I'm not going to tell you why. You have to figure it out. Right, that, right. Which is, yeah. which, which uh, to also support further from that your imdb review um did really did a great job like telling you take it as it is and and don't have expectations of it because this really when i was watching this film too it was like going into the mind of malik's like malik whatever's going in his head he just kind of dumped it out yeah and and was and, and was able to kind of let it just flow though 
in a way that it was up to us as as a viewer to piece it together uh to the best of our ability but but not think so hard into it because it is so philosophical in that sense you know mm-hmm. um i really enjoyed the layers being stripped away from the eldest son jack played by sean pan uh, as he plays the main focal point of how childhood innocence becomes lost as he gets older mm, that was yeah. one another thing that i also uh realized the visuals that tie together his past were great metaphors like as he reflects in his adult years when he hears about the loss of his brother like we see jack from wandering into the desert trees that stretch from the ground up to the sun and then linking it back to his childhood like there th- th- those moments i was able to connect but not instantaneously like i had to kind of like i got the desert scene but then when the whole tree the root going up i was like okay how does this how how is this connecting so it it, it takes some time for me at least to kind of get get with it so it's like i have to pause and like what did i just watch well one thing that i thought was so beautiful um so you know we're kind of in sean penn's mind here as he's wandering the wilderness Right, right towards the end when he is about to accept to accept the things that have happened and he's willing to forgive there is all of a sudden a doorway in the middle of the desert and he hesitates because he, he has it, yeah. to he has to choose to go through it which is basically mm-hmm. saying i i am going to forgive and then he's on to like a, a beach of his consciousness where mm-hmm. he sees everyone he's ever come into contact with in his life and he sees his mother and he sees his brothers again and he sees his father and that was just such a beautiful scene and I so think amazing. the only one part, or, or I think that what also took me out of the film uh, at, at certain times uh-huh. was the lack of music, I guess, because yeah. it was always just, it was just atmosphere, right? Mm. But as when, when that happens and you're watching a scene, it's going to take not too long for you to realize, okay, we get it. You're, 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 you're there struggling, but let's move forward. You know, it's, it, you know what I mean? Like, I guess that's just the impatience of a viewer at times, mm. I guess. Re- then really like taking a breath and just letting it happen for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what made a hidden life work for me because of the fact that, that, that the music really kept you in with the momentum of that. So with that said, it, that's why it felt a little bit longer uh, then, uh, for certain scenes that could have been maybe shorter. Uh, so, but other than that, um, there are favorite moments in this film where like the path to grace and the path to nature were embodied by each of his parents. I actually was like, wow, that's, that's super interesting because like Jack's mother played by Jessica Chastain, Hmm. she's kind gentle nurturing and allowed her children to see the world as a place of awe which obviously uh, represented like that grace like look like look at the world Mm -hmm. and know that there is good that there is you know things that you can do to um live freely or live in in a in a in a good in in a what's the right word i'm looking for just not like a free spirit but like an uplifting way you know what i mean but to, to live without the burden, uh, burdens of the world, because you live as one forgiven, as one that forgives. I think. And on that note, that's the father, played by Brad Pitt, strict, very authoritative, easily loses his temperament when trying to raise his sons to be ready for a world so corrupt and sinful as yeah. a way of nature. And it's funny he says to his children, "Your mother's naive. She doesn't know how the world really works." 
you know and and that confuses jack yeah. yes yeah and that was like moments like so there's a lot of little moments in the film that i did really enjoy because it was one an amazing performance two so close to home as we all probably have had experience in one way or another and and man the parts where jack as you see him get older um seeing the ways of his father treating him and raising him and then looking at the ways that his mother is treating him and raising him and then seeing his mom and dad fight and argue and just like what is going on here and then him like absorbing some of that to where like he talks back uh, to his dad uh, but then he also push pushes his mother down saying like you know, you're a pushover and you're, yeah. ne- you know, whatever. It was like, what the heck? Like, this yeah. is so it's like, crazy. You, you end up inheriting the best and worst from both of your parents, you know? And, and really I, it, that those scenes, I was like, this is really sad. It, it, yeah. It's like sad, but the reality of it, which I thought he did beautifully. Yeah. So let me ask you a couple of questions here before you go on with your review. Um, yeah. For the most part, the scenes uh, when we're with the the family with, you know, Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain and Hunter mm-hmm. McCracken, um, pretty much things are pretty normal um, and, you know, supernatural things aren't happening. There is one scene in particular when Jessica Chastain is like floating under a tree what did you think of that scene? What was your interpretation? Did it fit or did it take you out of the movie? That comes down to the whole, um, I think coming down to the whole idea of seeing the world in awe and wonder, mm. you know, mm. this, this, this feeling of exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that this feeling of, of, um, there's beauty. There's a yeah. lot, there's a lot of beauty in this world and it's yeah. not all of it. Not all of it is dark. Yeah. Yeah, I took that as how the the kids see the mom. Like she is a free spirit. She's grace. She's lighter than air. Like angelic in a yeah. sense. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And they looked up to her in that way. And also, there's that other scene where they're learning about death for the first time. It's like, mom, are you gonna die? And then they envision her in a clear, like a clear coffin in a forest where she has like she's like flowers all all over her. Do you remember that scene? Well, yeah. And but also remember, I don't think this is a spoiler. When when uh, Jack's best friend drowns. Yeah his experience of death in that aspect, when you yeah. watch that, like that is another um, moment of him to take that in. And, yeah. and we see that and, and, and witness just how he's taking it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so powerful. Yeah. Anyway, it was, continue. Yeah, that, yeah. that was, yeah. Um, overall, like I, I, did I find anything surprising with this film? Not so much, but it, it was more of a moment of recollection for me. Because I, I always enjoyed learning, thinking, and observing deeper questions, as you know me, like being able to really, when we have our moments of talks, you know, after a gig, whatever, like diving deep into certain philosophical or, or existential questions that we may have about life. Um, I've always it just enjoyed digging into that and, and trying to see life of normalcy from a different angle, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was more of a, it was a more of a good recollection in the end mm. of it all um but yeah i mean did it beat a hidden life no still sadly okay <laughs> okay but I, I appreciate it though i definitely i definitely think it is worth a watch for sure definitely definitely and I th- well i think it's worth a few watch a few watches because there's there is a lot to uncover so it, it's a film that you got to dig into a bit more and more so Anyways, but yeah, that's my take. Okay. Um, so what about you? 
All right. Well, all I got to say is what a film. Oh, man. And honestly, this is one of the most amazing films I have ever seen, period. Uh, when all is said and done, I think this will go down as Brad Pitt's performance of his career. He was incredible. And he really plays against type. He won an Academy Award just recently for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But as the cold, forceful father, uh, uh, you know, with like three kids and a wife who stays quiet, uh, I, I couldn't, um, you know, I, I saw a lot of my family. Um, I, saw, I saw a lot of my parents in that. And man, was he just so good. He was mm. loving and scary. And uh, there was really none of that sex appeal that has made him so famous. And it just reminded reminded me how much he's come as an actor. He was phenomenal. Um, but I think Jessica Chastain is the real MVP, though. She represents grace, forgiveness, and love uh, against Brad Pitt's nature and survival of the fittest and be tough attitude. Uh, I kind of want to digress a little bit and talk about j- the type of career Jessica Chastain was having uh, during this time in her life. She, uh, in the span of 2011 to 2012, before this, no one had even heard of her. And all of a sudden, she was just like, this is like a murderer's row uh, of films here coming out. Uh, she had Take Shelter, which is a movie with uh, Michael Shannon, Tree of Life, The Help, which was uh, a Cameo Award nominee for, Lawless with Tom Hardy and Shia LaBeouf, and then Zero Dark Thirty, which she was nominated for once again. Just that is, shot straight yeah, up to the skies. Yeah, that that out is to outer space. That is one year of just like ridiculous movies. And I honestly have not ever seen a stretch of movies like this since like Tom Hanks. And I'm going to digress a little bit. Tom Hanks here from 1992 up until 2000. Uh, this is what he had. He had A League of Their Own. Sleep is in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story. He directed that thing you do. He was in Saving Private Ryan, You've Got Mail, Toy Story 2, Green Mile, Castaway. Yeah. Th- that's like the craziest stretch ever. But Jessica <laughs> Chastain is like a, a close second there, I would say. Anyway. Yeah. Um, she was amazing. And she, I think, carried the movie with her energy. Um, she was literally transcendent. It's like she wasn't a character. She was uh, almost elemental, I could say. Uh, amazing visuals by El Chivo, uh, his nickname, Emmanuel Lebeski, who only used natural and practical lighting. The children were amazing as well. What's really weird is Hunter McCracken, who played the older son, Jack. Uh, he's never been really in another movie since. And yeah. that's weird because he's he was so good in this. Um, one of his brothers played by Ty Sheridan. He's been in a lot of stuff. I mean, he plays Cyclops in the newest X-Men series. He was in Ready Player One. So he's made a good career um, for himself. And in this case, the lack of a clear narrative, uh, which has hurt Malik in the past, here, it's why this movie is so powerful. Um, I mean, I think this is his wheelhouse, to be honest with you. A movie that only like loosely ties to a script, but is mostly found in editing. Um, this is like a sort of tactic that he learned um, on that movie he made, uh, Days of Heaven, which was like uh, uh, the movie he made where before he took a 20-year break and it had made a thin red line right after. But uh, I think it really matures and becomes something special here. And like the review said that I quoted from IMDb, if you're willing to open yourself up to an experience rather than a movie, 
you might just be able to examine parts of your own soul that have long been dormant. And yeah, the movie was that powerful for, uh, for me, but be forewarned, the movie jumps around between scenes from the inside of a middle American home to scenes of creation and dinosaurs and single-celled organisms evolving. People may float <laughs> out of nowhere and maybe a chair or two may move out of nowhere or maybe this child will be talking to a giant in his uh, attic and, and there's no actual reason why to the, in, within the plot. But to me, strangely enough, it all made sense at least from an emotional perspective. When you're not told what to think or feel, you might end up confused or scratching your head or giving up on the movie or what you might get, which is what happened to me in this movie, is an emotionally resonant film because you're able to put your own thoughts and your own themes and put that into the movie. Yeah. I think like going off of what you're saying, if I may interrupt real quick. Sure, sure. It, it's it, it's literally, like I said uh, earlier, going into the mind of Malik as he's trying to express this this uh film it's fragmented but just like our dreams just like our thoughts what we think of every day there's always fragments of what yes. no one else can ever really understand but ourselves and for us to be able to try to explain it to close friends or having a conversation about it you know it takes time it takes time for people to understand where where you're coming from or what you're trying to say yeah but but the beauty of it though is that it it's affected you in a way, you know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's made you think a certain way. You just don't haven't found out yet how to really bring it out from your head to, yeah. to uh verbal, like uh, to a verbal conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, it's just that, you know, you have to accept that. Yeah. This is a fragmentation that takes time and, and, and has to be watched maybe a few times for certain people, but for others, like when you get it, it's so moving, yes. When you're on it, like how you were or how you are, Myron, like it, mm -hmm. it becomes so emotionally yeah. moving. Yeah, yeah. So um, kind of like going back to what I was saying here, um, when you're trying to make a movie where there's no plot or there's just a loose plot and you're not really letting the audience know what they should feel, you're probably going to bomb really badly 999,999 times out of a million. <laughs> and trying to succeed at that is like performing a high wire act between the twin towers while trying to get across on a long string of dental floss, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you, if the movie loses you, you're done. You can't recover because there's no plot. You can't get back into it, you know, like, but he does it here and Malik pulls it off in spades. So, um, that is my review of this movie. So final ratings of the film. Will, you first. Overall, I give this film uh, three and a half, 3.5 okay. stars. Okay. So, so you um, favorable, likable. It but, is. It was favorable yeah. and likable, yeah. Definitely. But, I think that... Go ahead. But the dinosaurs were too much. <laughs> it wasn't that the dinosaurs were too much. I think that it was so abrupt. Like, I... I, I it was so abrupt that it, it that it kind of took me out, and 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 the only thing was I tried to take it as as it was after I after it was so jarring. Um, the moment that you see the what was it called the, the 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 one of the dinosaurs that was on the floor, and then you have another predator dinosaur basically going and stepping on its head, yeah. Yeah. thinking, okay, this dinosaur this this dinosaur that's on the floor is gonna die. But it, but it doesn't. It doesn't kill that dinosaur. Yeah, it's almost know? like he was playing with it. It's weird. But I scene. think that I, I think I was trying to read up on that. It was, it was this mercy. 
it was mer- giving mercy to this to this uh, yeah. dinosaur that was dying, and that's where therefore it kind of left. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting take. So, uh, like, yeah, the dinosaur was was interesting. I thought John's comment in the text was hilarious, for sure, especially when the man's <laughs> dr- has a couple of drinks. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, more than that, really, it was a lot of jumping back and forth that that really just was was catching me off guard at times mm. like it was, okay. it was a little yeah so yeah that's my take what about you um so for me uh i give it five stars whoa this is a masterpiece from beginning oh. to end yeah boom is this the, the first five star dropped. film no uh american beauty I, I i gave it five stars that's right yeah. okay uh, this is a masterpiece from beginning to end. You can classify it. You can put it in a box. You can understand it as you would a traditional movie. This movie has resonated with me when I first saw it close to nine, ten years ago. And it resonates with me even more today. In fact, it is third on my list of best films ever made behind The Godfather and The Dark Knight. Wow. Yeah, it, it was that good. And once again, I kind of want to talk about that final scene of, of the movie um, when Sean Penn who is the older Jack walks through that doorway and he's on a beach where every major person in his life, they're all gathered and they're walking, you know, along the water and he sees the younger version of himself. And then he sees his mom, Jessica Chastain, and then Sean Penn sees his dad, Brad Pitt, and they walk over and they hug and they smile at one another. Um, And just with that, you see that grace has won. It's beaten out nature and he's able to forgive and then, uh, you know, we, we see Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain see their son whom they lost uh, and they hug him and they lift him up and the camera is moving around them and the music builds. And we get this uh, picture of what heaven might look like and also of what grace looks like. And it is one of the most powerful scenes ever. And also uh, one of the most indelible images I have ever seen that will never be taken from my memory is that shot of Brad Pitt holding the baby's foot in his hands. You know what I'm talking about, Will? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That that beautifully that lit too. Crazy, yeah. just how yeah. you made a little baby's foot light up so beautifully. Yeah, and in my opinion, so far that is the most beautiful image in a movie I have ever seen, and that is why I give this movie five stars. Why do you think that it? What What do you think represented just having that baby's foot really, rather than like a baby's hand or a, like why the foot? I think it's just innocence um, and just feet is where what you use to walk and what gets you to point A to point B. And then there's another beautiful scene in there where uh, Brad Pitt is trying to help his uh, oldest son learn to walk, if you remember. And Mm, it's a baby and his feet are just kind of moving along. Makes Um, sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, Honestly, I don't think Malik has an idea in mind. I think he wants us to draw our our own ideas from movies like this. But, uh, yeah, this movie was nonlinear and it succeeded. And he uh, had three movies come out after this that all kind of was in the same vein of this film. And I'm sorry, all three of them completely lost me. (laughs) So it had beautiful images, but... You know, it, they all lost me, but this one <laughs> I will remember for a very long time. So good. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Anyway, that was our review of Tree of Life, also of the film A Hidden Life, which is available on demand right now. In the middle of it all, I had a little conversation with my friend Joe about faith and religion in films. We hope you found that interesting. 
Next week, Will and I will be back with a review of Extraction, and we will also be talking about our top five Netflix films of all time. We hope to see you then. Thank you so much. Thank you.